When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Grace Onions, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. My name is David Law, a commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport in the UK. Catherine Whitaker is my co-host, but she's on a plane on her way home from Korea at the moment, where the Winter Olympics have finally finished, which means that she and I will be back together next week to go over all the things that have happened over the last few weeks in the tennis world. We obviously had uh, the, the joys of Chris Clary from the New York Times with us last week, and we will have Catherine on the show this week because we have our special listeners' questions special. The second instalment here for you this week. Questions chosen by our guest editor, Grace Onions, who backed the show so generously in our crowdfunding Kickstarter to help us continue the tennis podcast in 2018. So, some of the questions we were asked, my goodness, there were a lot of them. We were asked whether tennis players should ever comment about anything other than tennis matches because of all the, the various talking points that we've had. Remember Tennis Sandgren at the Australian Open, all the furore about the things that he was saying, the uh, the Margaret Court arena, all that subject. Should should we be asking questions about that? That was what, one of the things we were asked. And um, we were asked who are the easiest players to interview, whether Federer should skip the clay, Nadal maybe should skip the hardcourt season. Loads of subjects that we got into, and that is coming your way very soon with Catherine Whitaker and myself. It's been a busy week in the tennis world. Off the court, Eugenie Bouchard has won her case against the USTA and been awarded damages after she slipped and fell in the US Open trainer's room in 2015. Sounds as if it was a pretty significant sum of money that she was awarded. 75% of the damages were put at the door of the USTA, and 25% of the the blame given to Bouchard for that fall uh, by the courts in the United States. Bouchard was ranked 25 in the world when she fell in that locker room after a third-round win. She only played one more match all year, retired from that with dizziness. I remember commentating on it at the time. And it was that was actually pretty distressing, seeing her try to play her first match after, after that fall, and she clearly wasn't right. Um, she's now ranked 116 in the world. I mean, it is some fall, isn't it, in terms of ranking? 
And whether the fall in the locker room and the fall in her ranking is actually related, who knows. But anyway, the guilt has been adjudged to be that at the door of the US Open, the USTA, and that's uh, that's what's happened. And uh, Eugenie Bouchard has won that case. On the court, titles in Dubai to Alina Svitolina over Daria Kasatkina, who had an excellent week herself. She beat Johanna Konta from uh, uh, a couple of match points down. She also beat Garbini Magarutha when she was well down in that one as well. But eventually Svitolina is the one who got the title. In Marseille, Karen Hatchinov uh, beat Luca Pui in the final, 7-5 in the third. Well done him. In Rio, Diego Schwartzman, little Diego, beat uh, Fernando Vadasco in the final. And a first title in Delray Beach, a first ATP title of any type for Francis Tiafo, who uh, beat Juan Martin Del Potro, Chung Hyung, and uh, Denis Shapovalov. And then uh, finally in the final, he beat uh, Peter Goyovchik who I think I've just about managed to pronounce correctly. So well done, Francis Tiafo. This week, it's time for the Dubai men and Acapulco, where Rafael Nadal makes his return. And it's, uh, it's, it is noticeable just how much stronger the Acapulco draw is than the Dubai tournament this time. Both 500 tournaments, but Acapulco has something like six of the world's top ten. Nothing like that same strength in Dubai, which is slightly unusual, slightly surprising to me anyway. We'll talk about all that next week. For now, though, let's start with those listener questions, as chosen by Grace Onions. And Grace had a couple of her own, first of all. There's been a lot of discussions at the Australian Open about the politics of players, obviously specifically Margaret Court and Tennis Sangren. Do you think that sport should be kept separate from politics and off-court behaviour? Should we be going into press conferences, Catherine, and not asking them about this stuff? Should we just say, right, you know, it's a press conference and it's a tournament. Let's cover that. Let's forget all this other stuff. No. No, I don't. I think, um, look, if, if, if a player doesn't want to be asked about it, plain and simple, you don't express your views about it. You, you, you don't put them out there in, into the world on social media. You know people are going to see that. Um, and you have every right, as frustrating as it might sometimes be for us, to, to not comment on things um, when when asked about them. But I don't think there should be any problem with, with us asking. You know, sport, people take a lot of notice of sport, and it has a, an awful lot of power for, for social change, both individuals and as a, a movement and institution in itself. You know, I genuinely think as much as there is a depressingly long way to go, you know, the status of of women's tennis and it, its relative uh, equality um, compared to other sports, you know, tennis leads the way in terms of gender equality, which is in some ways a sad, sad statement because of how far there is, is to go. And this is this is the best of a bad, bad bunch of sports for inequality terms. But you know, I genuinely think that is important in the in 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 the world and society, and it affects the way the way people the way people view things you know it has it has a real positive impact so absolutely not we would lose far too much and we'd lose far too much debate and um you know individuals can have power for good you know serena williams in the last year or so has become an extraordinary advocate um on social media for a number of causes that she believes in she wasn't always she's really grown into it in the last year or so same with andy murray um and there's 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 others as well there are others that shy away from it all you know when have you ever heard Roger Federer say anything you know controversial or political or anything he has decided to to you know for the sake of his good point 
for the sake of his, you know, reputation. It's not. I'm quite sure he has views on a lot of things. You know, he's a smart guy, but he has never ever strayed into those waters. Um, He sort of navigates them without us giving him a hard time. Yeah, which we could. You know, the media could say, "Come on, Roger." What do you actually think about this stuff? And if, and if he refused to give an answer, say it's disappointing that he hasn't. They could. You know, I find it disappointing that he's never expressed a view on equal prize money or gender equality or anything like that because, sadly, because of the the enormous impact him expressing support for it would have, you know, it's disappointing that sometimes he doesn't speak out about things because of how powerful his voice could be. But... Equally, you know, and I think this is a, a, a question on the list that we might come on to later, that the, what he has at stake, you know, the more power you have for change, the more you have at stake and, and the more reluctant yeah. you I, might I, be. I wonder whether as well, post-career, whether he, you know, might feel differently, might feel that he, he, he crystallises his view more firmly in hindsight as to where he stands on things and be more out there in terms of, of expressing them. It's, it's, it's possible. Because I don't necessarily think that all players that now are um, voices on subjects were always that way. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, as I say, Serena Williams the perfect um, example of that. And also these guys, the, they, they eat, sleep and breathe tennis. You know, they probably don't have a lot of time to watch Newsnight or... Federer's <laughs> or got re- two sets of twins. Or read a paper or anything like that, you know. These aren't necessarily the most um, informed uh, voices you can be hearing on, on, on political matters. But nonetheless, because of their status, um, they do have impact. And so that's it's... not to denigrate Federer, because I think of, he probably is one of the, well, one of the more intelligent I'm and sure I would like to think pretty informed people generally. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, he's I th- chosen I, to stick, I think stay he out of ha- it. I think he does have crystallised views, ones that may evolve and change uh, post-retirement. I, I don't think it's that he doesn't have views on things. I think he's just navigated Too a way hassle, of really. yeah, not expressing them. can understand it. Uh, and I remember Andy Murray saying early on when he got burned on a couple of things, he, he said he, for a while he, he felt it, he was better off not expressing views. And, he, and Tim Henman always used to say you know I, I don't you don't see the real me you see the one that wants to basically just not have the hassle really and so I end up saying nothing um, and, and he's much more of a character than people realise uh, the second question on the list here from, from Grace is related to that she says um, Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova both said that they would boycott the Margaret Court Arena um, why do you think that players don't do that sort of thing these days? I mean, we've touched on that briefly, and she, she points out sponsorship and, and et cetera like that. If you get involved in that, is that a problem for you? I remember when Andy Murray expressed his view on Maria Sharapova's um, suspension, and he actually commented on his own racket sponsor head supporting her, and he, he was critical, which is, you know, that is quite a... A step to take to criticise your own sponsor and their stance. You know, I mean, I, I had a lot of respect for that because that takes nerve. Uh, absolutely, and I know you can say, you know, he's all, got all sorts of other sponsorship deals and he's a squillionaire, so he can afford to lose one. But as as we've said, that applies to Roger Federer too, and we don't hear him speaking out about things, so it does take nerve. Um, I think sponsorship is an enormous part of it I do I think the the money the I mean the money and sponsorship at the top level is 
uh, of a different order of magnitude to, to prize money. You know, prize it makes prize money look like a, a drop in the ocean. Um, and there is absolutely no question that, sp- <laughs> that a sponsor's worst nightmare is expressing any kind of um, controversial political views on any subject. They just want you to be... They don't care about the real you, really. They create... They create a, a brand and an image, a cartoon-type character, and they just need you to be that. Now, some very there are very few individuals that have managed to make their brand being, you know, Andy Murray's brand is to be the guy that, to be authentic, to be authentic, yeah. and that's, but that is rare. I think I think I don't want to be standing here accusing Roger Federer of being inauthentic. I don't think he is. No, no, he's not. That that's not. That's not the level to which we're going with this. I think he and and Murray, what they have managed to do with their sponsorship is is put out who they are or who they want to be generally, and then sponsors have come on board with that. I do feel though that there's more going on with Federer in his mind than than he will let you know about because he he probably does think it's just not worth the hassle. Um, and, of course, and not just him. We're picking out him as an example because he is. He's the bastion of yeah. um, how do you, you how do you handle it? And, if you know if if you, if you've got a bunch of sponsors and and one of them supported something you're really against, how would we handle that? Look, it's that? incredibly easy for me to say because I'm not in that position. But I would very much like to think that I, you know, I'm a pretty stubborn, outspoken person. Really? I uh, <laughs> I uh, uh, I I'm pretty sure as sure as i can be without actually being in that situation i'm pretty sure that i wouldn't just keep quiet and mm. go away i think it's quietly. about degrees do you think well? i would keep quiet and no. Uh, no. go away quietly nope. no but then i also don't think that i would just um take a check um from from anyone willy-nilly without um being pretty sure that uh, my my views were pretty aligned with theirs not you know checks welcome of course <laughs> so do send them in no all right fine uh, so third question on the list here which players are the easiest most interesting to interview on either tour easiest so if we, in our previous uh, one we had a, who's the most difficult and uh, the question grace asks is apart from federer who generally seems to be excellent at his media obligations i mean i think i the, the, there are different types of interviewee i i, I quite enjoy interviewing people like Andy Roddick and Andy Murray who do slightly make you work for your answers not not that they don't give you good answers but your questions better be good you know because they will they will assess your question and if it is not very good they will make it very clear that you've made a bit of a fool of yourself um and at the same time I I quite enjoy the joust in that way um but I'm I, I tend to prefer speaking to to players who've retired in a way because they've got more to to fall back on and they've gone through it. I mean, I remember interviewing Jim Courier when he was still on the tour and he was hard work, you know. And he knows it. He knows he was hard work. And then when he retired, he said, "Cracky, I wish I'd been world number one when I was thirty-one and not twenty-one." Because by the time he'd retired, he realised the value of the media and he was helpful and he was effusive and he was engaging and back when he was playing his career he was not helpful yeah I mean the, the question is um, which players are the easiest slash most interesting well I'd say the easiest are rarely the most interesting and vice versa you know I 
I get nervous before an interview with Andy Murray, which I wouldn't with most top players because Why? of exactly what you just mm. said about um, I know the questions have to be good and I care what he thinks about the questions. I, you know, I, I care about his response to them. I care about his assessment because I think he's smart and he knows his stuff and, and um, he doesn't just trot out um, platitudes or or um, pat answers and, and that's a challenge for me and I know I've got to be on my game so I don't find it easy interviewing him I, uh, um, I think it probably brings the best out of me but he certainly is um, one of the most interesting people to interview without question and, and boringly I would agree with you too about uh, about ex-players we've both worked on the, on the Champions Tour and the stuff you get out of them the <laughs> <laughs> Some of it we can't use. Yeah, I mean, we just want insights, don't we? We want yeah. honest insights. We understand when we we don't get them. We've talked about all of the the things tennis players have going on and the, the various reasons they, you know, not wanting the hassle. We get it, but selfishly, we still we still want the unguarded insights. And you're a lot more likely to get those from from a retired player than you are from a current player who's got a match to play tomorrow and definitely doesn't want to see their face in the headlines for, That's for saying the wrong thing about... Quite excited know. with the way Denis Shapovalov is answering questions so far in his young career. He He's thoughtful. He he seems to process what you've asked him and, and give you an anecdote, you know, give you... Oh, can I just throw someone else in there? Sure. Naomi Osaka. Oh, yeah. Well, she, she didn't mind telling me a joke in an interview, <laughs> yeah. so... <laughs> Terrible she joke, is, but I love it. She's an absolute joy. Yeah, yeah she's good. Uh, a bonus question as well uh, from Grace. She wants to know, uh, since a couple of other people have asked, is when, where, and on what surface is the much anticipated Lauren Whitaker rematch? What surface would you would I be best on? I think I'd, I don't know. Anything quick? You know, swing it out wide. Come in. Knock off the volley. What do you think? Dear, oh dear, there's an image. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm 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 not bothered about surface. Uh, I, I I demand that the temperature be sub thirty degrees. <laughs> right. What is it now? It's I, about I forty. Let's get out there. I can't uh, perform basic bodily functions apparently on anything above thirty degrees. Um, but yeah, surface wise, when and where? I mean, both of us forgot to bring our tennis rackets. To, that was to a slight, a slight. <laughs> so that is uh, problematic. So when somewhere where we have tennis rackets where somewhere where people will let us play on the court I've had about five invitations this week including Koo Yong uh, which used to actually stage the Australian Open they want to stage our rematch <laughs> who thought it Queens have just Does, offered as well provide tennis rackets well, I don't think so we haven't got time now no. uh, so anyway soon is all I'm saying I've uh, three years I've been waiting for this and I'm going to get my own back. So, uh, questions that Grace has picked out on social media from all of you. Uh, Dan Connolly from London in England says, uh, what do you think about best of five for the women or introducing best of five for both men and women from quarterfinals onwards? What I think we need to find a way for it, for there to be parity, whatever the solution there. I think parity is the ultimate goal. Why? Um, because... Equality is a good thing. No, I realise equality is a good thing in terms of equal pay, but why does it matter? You're obviously, you obviously. I don't feel think that it that's... matters as much as some people think it does. But at the moment, it's a stick for people to beat women's tennis with, and I don't want there to be any of those sticks at the moment. Personally, I, 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 I 
don't agree with it being a any kind of detraction from the validity of equal prize money, but it leaves the door open for debate. And I don't want there to be any door open for debate. I want I want it just to be so natural and logical for everyone to go, yeah, of course women should be paid the same. Of course. You know, it's just, it's it's so clear to me. Um, and I, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I want... I want there to be no equivocation about it. And at the moment, there can be. And also, I want to see more women's tennis. I want, you know, I want to see best of five. I, I want to see the ultimate, not all the time. And I would, think... Would you rather see best of five all the way through the tournament, both men and women? Or would you rather see them both go best of three until fourth round is done and then quarterfinals onwards best of five. Yeah, I think that's the best solution because scheduling-wise, it's pretty much, you know, just from a practical point of view, I believe it's pretty much impossible for the slams to stage best of five um, men's and women's. Uh, so, so and, and it's obviously more problematic in week one when there are more matches. So, yeah, for me, I think the most satisfactory solution across the board is best of five men's and women's from quarterfinals onwards yeah I think I'd probably go with that as well um, for the same reasons because I, I mean I, I, I certainly agree uh, I'm absolutely 100% that uh, equal prize money is the, just the right thing to do anyway um, and it takes that element of the argument away um, second question is from Denison Delaguerro from Australia who says, do you think the resurgence of Federer and Nadal after Murray and Djokovic got injured is due more to their brilliance or a judgment on the younger players who have yet to, to break through, maybe? I think it's mostly due to their brilliance. I think that's the, the biggest portion of the puzzle. It depends what we're talking about with younger players. I think there's two different things. You've got the hashtag next gen which is your, your Chungs and your Shapovalovs. They're doing what they should be doing. They're doing exactly what they should be doing. And they are really, really young. You know, Federer didn't win a slam till he was 21. So to say that Denis Shapovalov isn't breaking through when he's still 18 and he's, you know, reached the fourth round of a slam. The ones you could judge maybe a little are Kyrgios and Zverev. Uh, Zverev, and, I mean, he's at the same time, 21. he's still only 20. And 20 he's only 20. 20. So, but he's been doing it for a while now, and he's yet to reach uh, a quarter-final of the Grand Slam. Yeah, but he's only being judged because he set his own standard so high. True. Because he made, he, or, he, he made his initial breakthrough at such a young age. So I, I still don't think it's fair to say um, that, that he's failing to break through. Kyrgios, maybe, but... He is such a unique case. And he's such an immature talent, yeah. really. It feels like he's only now just starting to to shave off the rough edges, really. I, I think the ones that you, you could level the accusation at are the, the middling generation, the, the team Nishikori Dimitrov Raonic generation. Now, there's physical issues going on there. We discussed in the... Uh, our first Any Questions tennis podcast. Um, I'm thinking I, I will come up with a better name than that, by the way. I feel like there's a pun in there somewhere. Oh, God. Um, uh, we talked about, you know, injury and, and physical impediments being such an issue for Nishikori and Raonic in particular. Dimitrov... Uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on there, isn't there? I mean, that's, they, that's a know, whole Any Questions podcast in itself. And team... Well, yeah, I think I think probably the accusation can be levelled at team. I do question some of the decisions he's making about his career. Even and, and though before their injuries took hold, these guys were not beating the top players. No, often they weren't. enough. Nishikori did it against Djokovic at that U.S. Open, but then he he he, he lost out in the final. There, there is that now. It may just be that they're just not as good 
as uh, as that generation. I mean, et they're not they're not as good no. as Federer. And but Nadal. should you know, they? On have, paper, should one of them have won a slam by now? In your view? Well, look, I mean, Chilich broke through and won a slam. He's that. I know he's a little bit older, but he's he's the the pack behind. He's twenty nine, isn't he? So he is the pack behind. People have muscled in and won the odd one. <laughs> Stan has done incredibly well in that incredibly way because he's well. made himself part of that yeah. that group. Yeah, and, well, and he, even when he, when when he, he doesn't really think of himself as part of that group because he doesn't have the consistency, but to muscle in, um, you know, almost quite literally and, uh, and, it's, it's and win why, three slams. It's why I'm so bowled over by what Nadal and Federer have done yeah. in the last year because I thought, well, I, I probably we both thought that that just was not going to happen. I certainly didn't. I certainly didn't. You know, I, this time last year, we were recording this on the eve of the men's final, this time last year... I we we were looking at the Nadal Federer final as this prized, rare, freakish, freakish diamond that we would never see again, and we, we just must gotta treasure every single moment. And then yeah. this year, I heard people going, "Oh God, we don't want a Nadal Federer final again." <laughs> Who's saying God, that? We don't want Federer winning again, do we? <laughs> Who said that? I don't. don't I have heard that. I've heard that. You know, oh, let's get someone different along. Let's, you know, why aren't, why aren't we seeing any new faces? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, people are fickle. It's a combo. Uh, it's a combo. I think it's largely that those two are the two greatest of all time for me. And it is freakish and extraordinary that they are existing in the same era and that that era also includes Murray Djokovic and Bavrinka. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
David Shanze Tellez. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry, David. Uh, from Valencia in Spain. Says, uh, do you think Nadal should skip the US March hardcourt tournaments to preserve his body for the clay? And should Federer skip the clay again? I think Federer should and probably will skip the clay again. I mean, it's panned out all right for him, hasn't it? I, don't, I think he will play the French Open again. I don't think we'll never see him in the, at the French Open again. But I think he's planning to play a few more years. So I think this year... I think, skip it again. I, don't, I think, though, that if he, if he were not to do that well in Indian Wells, Miami, surely he would then start playing some clay. Yeah, maybe. maybe. It depends on the he body. Won it's them the both changing surfaces, though, that's, that's challenging on the body. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're, be... you're right. The, the, the complexion can, cha- can change a lot over the course of the next uh, couple of months and what that's happens it. in Indian Wells and Miami. But at the moment, I think it's quite likely he'll if do you, the same if, again. If you could just sort of, you know, win the Australian Open, you know, go and play Indian Wells, Miami, maybe win them, maybe not, and then think, so well, I'm going to have eight weeks off now, have a bit of a holiday, you know, go and see the kids, go go to, you know, do all these things. Yeah, and then start hitting I'll, on grass, I'll just get ready nicely and I'll be in banging form when it comes down, around for the grass. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I didn't get the impression he desperately missed the clay court season last year. But he's you played know? a lot of clay court seasons. Yeah. This guy's had twenty years on the tour, so, so I think uh, he probably will as well. I think he'll probably play. A, he might play the French, but remember last year we felt as though he didn't play the French because he just didn't want to give these guys a look in of any kind of fragility. He didn't want them to have yeah. a win over him. He wanted yeah, he to go didn't want to give Nadal any kind of an edge. He knew no. he knew he had it over him for the for the time being. He I, he didn't know to what extent at that stage because they'd only played a couple of matches. But what about Nadal? Uh, there's too many unknowns for me to to be able to say about Nadal. Really, they've got the hip injury, which he says is going to take about three weeks to heal. The knee is still not 100. Although it's not the reason he um, he didn't look he impeded the Austra- he, he didn't, but but then look, look I, again, I'm straying into medical territory that I've got no business doing. But when one thing is out of line, that's when other things start going wrong. True. So I do wonder if if the hip going is is perhaps something to do with the, the residual knee problem. I don't know, but I do know that 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 is how injuries you know start start proliferating in in that way. So. There's too many unknowns physically. I would be very surprised if he did that, just because of such a hungry, what a hungry competitor he is. He likes playing, and he like, and he needs matches. Yeah, he needs he matches, does. and I, I know those two hardcore seasons don't lead into a slam. Um, so perhaps on one hand makes them less significant. Uh- Grace has also picked out a question here. When the Williams sisters and the Big Four, and I guess Big Five, eventually retire in the next couple of years, do you think there will be a period of tennis mourning, uh, i.e. a drop in interest in tennis as a result? Yeah, probably. Yeah, a little bit. I, what I do feel is that this period of crossover is, is absolutely essential for people to discover new new players. And we saw us at the O2... Grigor Dimitrov is an incredibly popular champion. Um, unfortunately, he hasn't been able to pick up that baton and, and go all the way at a slam yet. And that's what it will take. It will take somebody new, one of this new generation, to break through and to become the big star. Yeah, it's like the, the it's it's like handover week in in an office, isn't like it? When, You're writing handover When Federer notes. beat Sampras back in at uh, at Wimbledon in 01. that was a huge moment. I know it took him a couple more years, but that. 
immediately put a line in the sand. You need you need a Shapovalov or someone like that to do something like that at a slam. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's coming. Or what Kyrgios did against Nadal uh, at yeah. Wimbledon a few years back. I know, again, Kyrgios' special case. But, um, I'm yeah, quite look, optimistic. Look, they, they are, I'm optimistic in the medium to long term. I think in the... In, it, in the immediate though of course there'll be a bit of a lull there will be there will be a it'll be like when take that split up won't it <laughs> that's 22 we're all years over ago it now but <laughs> yes we're all devastated but at there the time. will be um there'll be uh hotlines opened for people to cry there cry will. down Time for a couple more on Instagram. Uh, Andrew Jacobs says, Hi, Catherine David. I love the podcast. Oh, cheers, Andrew. Uh, My question is not lamenting about the future of tennis. I'm excited for it. He says, Which male next-gen player will be the first to win a slam? That's a good question. Probably Zverev still. It's only a matter of time, isn't it? The most likely to win one first. I think he's probably the safest bet still currently yeah he he is i i still have my reservations about him still as, as a slam winner at any stage no no i would have thought he would get there but then i who if somebody had told us when dimitrov was 20 that he wouldn't win a slam and he might not now he's 26 we we talk about it. We we convinced ourselves at the end of last There's year that he would. There's something different mentally about Zverev. He's not as gifted as as, as Dimitrov. He's very very gifted, but there's something different, different about it. He's a diff- It's a different type of gift. It's it's the more it's Djokovic versus Federer, isn't it? It's 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 that metronomic, relentless yeah. that re- yeah that relentlessness on the court. Um, but he's a different specimen mentally to to Grigor Dimitrov. I, I think he is in as much as I think he, his commitment won't wax and wane, which it has with Dimitrov. He's back on it now, and he's had a really good year or so, but it can go in and out. I think Zverev desperately wants it at the expense of all else, really. So that that should aid his continuous improvement. But until he breaks through, you're still getting fourth-round losses. Well, well, Scar tissue built. Who else would you throw into the mix? I still... I've, Dennis the Menace. I still he's, think that kid is first. He's eighteen, though. I know he is. Look, he might not be the first. I, I that's what is being asked here. The he first, is not capa- the most likely. He's capable of the spectacular. Of course, look, that was not what was asked, David. We weren't asked well, how great if you could Dennis let me finish my point. His, I could go on about that all day. His ability of the spectacular is that, like Kyle Edmund at that uh, Australian Open, one big win opens a draw. If he gets a good passage through, I would. It's the same with Curious. I'd back those guys in a head to head against really top players because of their one off ability to, to produce. You still need a passage through. I, I fully understand that. But Edmund had it. He got one good win over Kevin Anderson. Suddenly it opened up and he took his chance and he went through. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty str- strong argument. I still. I don't know. I still think the safer money for the first is Zverev, but yeah, it is safe. You, you do make it. You do make a good argument, and it's I an certainly think argument. Shapovalov will be winning slams. I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be cautious on this one. Who'd have thought it? We've yeah, I'm gonna stick all. rather than twist. Catherine, you know, she's just desperate to, to say, I'll tell you, I think, I think Shapovalov's going to win one more than this year. Um, so, to, time for one more here. Um, 
we have uh, Paulie, who says Roger Federer knew that Chung had blisters prior to their semi-final. So did Mary Carrillo. She told us on your show. How does this kind of info find its way around the tournament? Love to know the nuances and details and uh, of intel and opponent research. Well, the the fact is that if you if you walk around and talk to enough people, you find out stuff. I mean, in our game, in in the media world, if you talk to enough coaches and if you hang around <laughs> areas enough, you see things, you hear things. And I must admit, I did not know about the blisters of, of Chung, but Mary clearly did. But then she's she's hanging around with people at Tennis Channel like Paul Anacone and, and various other coaches, and they do talk to one another, and they do see things, and they do end up in locker rooms, and they, you know, word gets around about these things, doesn't and the, it? And these guys and, and, and women, they have, they have huge teams now. So if you've got an issue you've got an agent that knows about it and you've got a a coach that knows about it and maybe a secondary coach that knows about it and a trainer that knows about it and a physio that knows mm. about it and maybe one of them goes and drops a racket off the stringer and a stringer knows about you know that there's there's so many routes to market for 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 rumors um or more than rumor I'm not this isn't sort of gossip mongering we're talking about um but yeah it's not like one guy with a blister that's keeping it to himself you know these are these are sort of mini industries. Yeah, it takes quite a lot of doing to keep something completely quiet like that, really, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, you know, even thinking back to to Marin Cilic when he had his blisters at Wimbledon, there were signs beforehand because of various things you might see in practice or or whatever it was. And and sometimes you can be off kilter as well. Sometimes you you can think you've seen something you haven't, um, but. And certain players are easier to read than others and that kind of thing. But, yeah, that's that's generally how it works, isn't it? People talk. Yeah, people loiter and people talk. They do. They do. <laughs> There's, uh, I just noticed at the very bottom, this ties in. This is not a question that I'm sure we'll be able to answer without being slapped with some sort of libel or slander lawsuit. But, um, uh, right. but stirring the pot, Dave Levy asks, what's the best tennis rumour you've not been able to substantiate? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Our good friend, Dave. Uh, hmm. The best tennis rumour that I've not been able to substantiate. I think it would probably be that Goran Ivanovic is going to coach Novak Djokovic. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't substantiated because <laughs> apparently it was started by me. <laughs> oh, where did you get that from? I reported it and then somebody, somebody else quite relatively reputable re- reported and I thought oh right great it turns out they're reporting it on the basis of me speculating about it um, <laughs> because it this seemed, is how these things start because it seemed it? to add up didn't I still it, think it's us. a good idea yeah <laughs> and that was based on a conversation with with Gorham wasn't it about how much we thought he would love to do it yeah oh I mean he's still sitting by the phone he I'm is, quite yeah. sure yeah I agree do you think he's gonna <laughs> this klaxon uh, uh, here completely out of date question <laughs> for when people are actually listening to this do you think he's going to go and have a, 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 a sneaky word with Marin Cilic before the final? Yeah. Yeah, I'd have thought so. I'd have thought so. I, w- I would think that they're still pretty close. Do you think Goran's going to coach again soon? And who do you think would be a good person for him I to coach? I think he's so desperate to coach, he'd probably take your call, David. Would he? <laughs> for a rematch, yeah. We've already got Jill on the books. Yeah. Jill Krabass. I mean, he goes to all the slams anyway. Um, 
to to play um, to play the Legends events, doesn't he? He does the odd bit of media work, but nothing. You know, he's he's not a, a regular TV um, personality or pundit. Um, yes, he's he's got a family, but he he's used to a life of of travel. Of course, he wants to coach. I'm not saying he'd take. Well, maybe I am saying you take any phone call coming if you take yours. But yeah, I, we're going to see him again. But the problem is that super coaches seem to be, for the moment at least, a bit out of fashion. Who do you think he could get a lot out of the way he got the ultimate out of Marin Cilic? I mean, there, there must be somebody out there with a big game who's just not wielding Kyrgios? it right. I think he'd love to coach Kyrgios. Oh uh, John goodness. McEnroe would love to coach Kyrgios. They're all queuing up. He just doesn't want any of them. Goran and Kyrgios. Yeah, the way he said, I love him, was it was pretty intense. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I want that to happen. Yeah, I do too. Imagine that. I could see it. I could see it. That's a rumour I'm going to start. <laughs> this is how these things start. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, so, Dave, this is the new best rumour that we're completely yeah. unable to this substantiate. This is taking off right now. So, it's been lovely. We've enjoyed our uh, questions-only podcast. And, Which uh, will have a, a, a better pun-based title by the time it goes to air, I promise. Okay, all right. Well, we'll look forward to that. So, there we have it. Our listeners' questions special instalment number two. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I have been... David Law here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. We are also brought to you by La Manga Club, the holiday destination in Spain, which if you want to play golf and if you want to play tennis and if you want to have the life of Riley, you want to get yourself over there. Very nice indeed. Catherine and I both had a chance to do so last year and it is worth doing La Manga Club. Triple S is our executive producer, alongside Melanie Bowes, our predictions champion. Tennisballs.com are great supporters of ours as well. Charlie the Ferret is our mascot. Of course he is. And uh, we will be back with another instalment of the Tennis Podcast in a week's time. Catherine Whitaker will be back. So I can no longer get away with this, this raft of uh, pole vaults that I've been running over the last few weeks without any interruptions whatsoever. Go on Twitter, at Tennis Podcast. See all of them. Vote before she gets back. I'm telling you, that's the last chance you've got. Uh, we're also on Instagram, on Facebook. You can go to the Tennis Podcast shop, get yourself a T-shirt, a sweatshirt, a, a bag. We've got the lot, I'll tell you. But most of all, we are a Tennis Podcast, and we will be back next week. 